The word of the Lord says this. I am the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valleys. Like a lily among the thorns, so is my darling among the maidens. Like an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the young men. In his shade I took great delight and sat down, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. He has brought me to his banquet hall, and his banner over me is love. You may be seated. <clears throat> Saints, how would you define your relationship to Jesus Christ? Again, how would you define your relationship to Jesus Christ? And there's many things that you yourself, I'm sure, can say personally about your relationship to Jesus Christ, what Christ means to you. Uh, but if we were to speak about our relationship to Christ in terms of how the Bible speaks of our relationship to Christ, we find many ways in which we see this played out. It is said that Jesus Christ is the head and we are the body. That he is our federal head and he is our representative. We can say that he is our king and we are his slaves. But for our consideration this morning, we will consider the believer's marital union to Jesus Christ. As to say that Christ is united to his people, that is, to those who have placed their faith in Christ in an especial manner. It was Thomas Watson, the one that Pastor Antonio just spoke of that we should read, that said of this union, there is a closer union in this holy marriage than there can be in any other. In other marriages, two make one flesh, but Christ and the believer make one spirit. And this morning, saints, we have the privilege of seeing uh, what this special marriage between the believer and Christ looks like, between us who are the bride in Christ, who is the groom. Saints, this is how we are to think of our relationship to Jesus Christ. Among other things, we should look at it from the perspective of Jesus Christ is our husband. And we are his bride. This morning we have the privilege of seeing what sweet love language between a husband and a wife sounds like. And we are to think, saints, that this morning's sermon is disconnected from last Lord's Day sermon as we as we heard from Pastor Antonio last Lord's Day, one of the great themes, if not the great theme of that sermon, is how to die well. How we in this life are pilgrims and we are moving somewhere. We are going to a specific place. And upon that journey to that place, one of the things that we need to know as Christians is how do we live out the confession that we all confess. That is to say... We know that our soul is well because Jesus Christ has lived, died, and rose for us. But how can we live out knowing that our soul is well? Well, saints, one of the ways we can do that is considering just two basic questions. And that is, how does Christ view the church? And how does the church view Christ? How do we live well? And how do we die well? 
we consider how does Christ view us? Saints, what Christ says about us and reminding us of reminding ourselves rather of what Christ has done for us is what's going to carry you to heaven. Knowing what Christ has done for you, contemplating, considering, meditating, living out that truth is what will carry you to our heavenly home. Well, to help us with these things, I want us to consider just two verses or three verses in the Song of Songs with just two simple points. Number one, how does Christ view the church? And number two, how does the church view Christ? How does Christ view the church? And number two, how does the church view Christ? We're going to see two perspectives here, one from Christ and one from the church, how each view each other. Well, before we consider verse two, I think it's important that we briefly consider verse one. In the Bible, there are many ways it describes who Jesus Christ is. And in all of the Bible, the Song of Songs gives us some of the loveliest word images of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In chapter 5, for instance, he's described as radiant and ruddy, distinguished among 10,000. In chapter 1, his love is described better as wine. In chapter 5, after... Uh, the wife has been looking for her husband and she's trying to describe the beauty of her husband to these, to these two women. All she can say at the end is, he's altogether lovely. And here in our verses this morning, we have before us a most sweetest picture of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, the Song of Solomon, although it was written from a king to his bride, We should interpret this book as really Jesus Christ's love letters to the church. This is what Christ says to us. Jesus says of himself, I am the rose of Sharon, the lily in the valleys. Now, these verses, opening verses that Christ says are quite interesting, are they not? Uh, For if any of us praise ourselves in this way, if any of us spoke of ourselves in this way, then we would surely be looked at as maybe arrogant, as maybe conceited, maybe full of ourselves. But saints, we, we must not charge this of Christ when he speaks of himself in that way. You see, we can't get away of speaking of the beauty of ourselves to another person. But Christ can get away with it. For he is the only one that is worthy of such self-praise. But didn't you notice, friends, that Christ likens himself not to just a rose and a lily, but it says, or he says, he is the rose and the lily in the valleys. This speaks of the preeminence of Jesus Christ. It speaks of Christ's beauty, which is unmatched. He is beauty unveiled. And after Christ has given to us this vivid and creaturely picture of his beauty, he now describes or now will describe the the loveliness of his bride. Now, there are many wonderful things a husband can tell his wife. There are many words that a husband can use to, to sweep his wife off his feet. Those who are husbands here know exactly what I'm talking about. You know those things that you can say to your wife that would uh, make your wife just melt. But saints, no natural man 
can say to his wife with the purest of heart what Christ can say to his church. The most eloquent of speech and the most polished of sentences from a natural man to his wife doesn't compare to a single line from Christ to his church. We all love those times and weddings when the bride and the groom have that opportunity to say to one another how they feel about one another. We know that as their vows. When for just a moment, the bride and the groom have the opportunity to put their heart out and tell one another how they much they love each other and they care for one another and what they think about the other person. But saints, that is how we are to view verse 2 here. It is as if Jesus Christ and his church are on the altar and are exchanging vows. In verse 2, we see the pulse beat of Christ toward his beloved. We see in verse 2 how Christ's heart beats toward us, his people. So the question that we want to answer this morning is, how does Jesus Christ view you? What does Christ think about you? I mean, many of us can be like alfalfa. We can have the, the flower in our hand and petal goes to life and right. He loves me. He loves me not. We're really unsure whether Christ truly loves us. Well, saints, if you're in fear of what Christ says about you, look at verse two. Like a lily among the thorns, so is my darling among the maidens. From this verse, we see that there's two ways in which Christ views the church. Two ways. The first way is by comparison. And the second way is by contrast. Again, Jesus Christ views the church, but in two ways. The first way is by comparison. And the second way is by contrast. Let's consider the comparison that Christ makes. Again, friends, Jesus says of the church, like a lily among the thorns. Now notice, Jesus says of the church, they are like lilies. And this should strike us as interesting because we have heard this language before, have we not? Jesus says of himself in verse 1, I am the lily in the valleys. Jesus in verse 1 alike is himself to a lily. And in verse 2, he says the church are lilies. Here we see that Christ is making a comparison. He's saying that just as I am the lily in the valley, so it is with my bride. They are like lilies. This comparison, saints, speaks of the believer's sweet marital union to Jesus Christ. And it's a most sweet union, is it not, where we as believers of Christ, indwelt by the Spirit, become partakers of the divine nature. That all that Christ has in his humanity is given to us via the Holy Spirit. That we have become adopted sons and daughters of God. Why? Because we are in union, we are united to the natural Son of the Father. And that is the eternal Son, Jesus Christ. And this, saints, is the most excellent of news, is it not? That our whole soul should rejoice when we are reminded that you, saints, are in union with Christ. Especially when we hear that we are lilies. When we hear from Christ, our head, 
our husbands saying to us, you are lilies. And the reason why it should be of sweetest news is because in and of ourselves, we are not lilies. In and of ourselves, we are far but lilies. We are merely haystacks. There is nothing about us that is lovely. There is no comeliness about us. In Adam, there is, there is nothing beautiful about us. In our sin, there is no beauty within us. It is only in Christ, the lily, that we are made lilies like him. That is important, saints, that it doesn't matter what you do in this life, that there is nothing that you can do to cause yourself to be as beautiful as one is as beautiful when they're in union with Jesus Christ. And what this means, saints, is the beauty of the church derives from her relationship to Jesus Christ. That the beauty of the church, the reason why you are beautiful, it's because of Jesus Christ. It's a derivative beauty. It's a beauty that finds its roots and its foundation in Jesus Christ. The Puritans would say it's like the sun and the moon. Where when we are looking at the moon at night and we see it all lit up, the, the moon in and of itself has no light. So at night, when we see the moon all lit up, what you're looking at is the sun reflecting its light upon the moon. Without the sun reflecting its light upon the moon, the moon will be dark. You couldn't see the moon. But because the sun reflects its light upon the moon, the moon now has light. In other words, the moon in and of itself has no beauty. It has no light. It just gives off darkness. So what it is, saints, are so just as the moon reflects the sun's light. So it is with how the church reflects the beauty of the Lord. Just as the moon reflects the light of the sun, the church reflects the beauty of Christ. And the more the Spirit conforms us into the image and likeness of Christ, the more beautiful we become. Saints, this is the Christian's true beauty. That true beauty is found only and solely upon one's union with Christ. And this is quite different than how the world views beauty, is it not? The world defines beauty by the color of the hair, by one's facial structure, one's body type. I mean... This sermon I preached in one of the churches in L.A. And I was as I was passing through L.A., I just see billboard upon billboard of call this number to get this this get this Botox in your eyebrows or something. And although we can do many things with our faces, we can change our hair, we can change the clothes that we wear, we can we can wear the most fragrant, the, the most uh, loveliest of fragrances. The Bible says that the true beauty of a person consists in their likeness to Christ. Not in what you look like, but who do you believe in? And are you reflecting Jesus Christ in your character? Do you outwardly Act like Jesus Christ, not merely profess him. 
And saints, if you are here this morning, and if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, then know that Christ views you as he views himself. This is the most wonderful of news. That Jesus Christ views you as he views himself. John Gill, commenting on this verse, says, So saints are of a sweet fragrance to Christ. And the reason why we are a sweet fragrance to Christ is because we are united to Christ by faith. The second way that Christ compares, or the second way uh, that Christ views the church is by contrast. Again, verse 2 reads, Like a lily among the thorns, so is my darling among the maidens. Here we see that Christ is making a contrast. He made a comparison that... The church is lilies because they are united to me because I am the lily. Now he's making a contrast. And here what Christ is doing is he's really putting the, the, the black velvet backdrop on the table so that we can see how lovely we truly are in Christ's eyes. Jesus says of my church, they are like lilies among thorns. And essentially what this means, saints, is Christ views the church to be like him, surrounded by something that's unlike him. Again, Christ views the church to be like him, your lilies, surrounded by something that's unlike him, thorns. Christ views the church as lilies surrounded by thorns. And thorns in the Bible have a negative meaning. In Genesis 3, after the fall of man, one of the curses was was on the ground that was to bring forth fruit, were now to bring forth thorns and thistles. In 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 6, David, speaking of the sinfulness of man, says, worthless men are all like thorns, they are thrown away. Thorns are reminders of sin and the curse. There is no beauty for thorns, for they can only bring pain. And if there is one thing that thorns are good for, and that is this, to be burnt up. There is nothing good for a thorn other than to be cast at the fire. And here in our text, Jesus says, this is the world. All those who fell to bow their knee to Christ, that they are like thorns awaiting a fiery judgment. There is nothing lovely about the world. And there are many people who do good things for their fellow neighbor. There are many atheists who live morally upright lives and contribute much to society. But saints, if you are not in union with Jesus Christ, then Jesus Christ sees you as a thorn. And here Christ says his bride, the church, stands out as lilies among thorns. I mean, you can even visualize it in your head. That in a field of thorns, the church stands out in all of her beauty. The church stands out as the, the pleasant amongst the unpleasant. As the delicate amongst the harsh. As the righteous amongst the unrighteous. As Jacob amongst Esau. You see the contrast that Christ is making, saints. In a world full of thorns, the church stands out. And this truth should humble us. I mean, this is not something that's when we go to our Christmas parties, we the first thing we tell that that one whom we're evangelizing, hey, you're a thorn and I'm a lily. You're ugly and I'm beautiful. That's not what we should say. And don't leave this church and say, I'm 
Pastor Isaiah said, he's going to go, I'm, I have the right to do that. No, don't do that. But rather, it should humble us. It really, really should. For at one point, were we all not thorns? Each and every one of us. At, at one point, was this not us? That we were amongst those that were harsh, those that bring pain, those that were ugly. At one point, were we all not awaiting the fiery judgment of God, each and every one of us? But in God's loving kindness, that which was once a thorn is now a lily. If you believe in Jesus Christ, that which was once a thorn is now a lily. Saints, this is the love that Christ has for his church. That Christ takes the ugly and he makes them beautiful. And friends, this type of love is not rooted in any mutual attraction. Christ Christ didn't choose you because you are the most beautiful of thorns among all the other thorns. There was nothing in you that drew Christ's love towards you. Do you understand that? And mind you, Christ did not choose you so that you can love him back because he's in need of love. Isn't that one of the great mysteries of the Christian faith? I mean, we can talk about the Trinity all day long. We can talk about the hypostatic union, Jesus Christ being one person with two natures. We can talk about all these things, but isn't the one question that we're going to have in heaven is, why is so great love to me? Why am I deserving of this type of love? And the only thing we can say is this, this love that Christ has for the church is not for anything in myself, but is rooted simply in divine love. Why does Christ love the church? Because Christ loves the church. That's simply it. When Christ sees us, saints, he sees us, and hear me, through the eyes of grace and love. And isn't this good news for us? The Christian life is a life of daily failure and daily repentance. I mean, we fall and God gives us the grace to stand back up and keep on pressing on. And at times, sin can make us feel that Christ has changed his view of us because of how ugly sin makes us look. Those vices that continually to remind us that we are ugly, that Christ has doesn't want anything to do with you. And even after our repentance, Satan continues to cause us to despair. Even after the moment we have pleaded with God to pardon our sin, Satan continues to press the issue that Christ does not love you. But friends, be of good cheer this morning. For Christ sees you as he sees himself. And, and isn't it wonderful, saints, that Christ's estimation of us is far greater than our estimation of ourselves. We can bring ourselves really, really down because of the things that we do. And Christ says, you are like lilies among thorns. 
Christ doesn't see us in our sinful flesh, but he sees us clothed in his righteousness. Know this this morning, saints, that you are a lily among thorns and the love that ties your heart to Christ will never be snapped. Let's consider our second and final point, which is how the church views Christ. Thus far in our text, we have seen how Christ views the church. Now, as we come to verse three, we see how the church sees the bridegroom. Look at verse three, if you will, like an apple tree among the trees of the forest. So is my beloved among the young men. In his shade, I took great delight and sat down and his fruit was sweet to my taste. After Christ has a like in the church to a lily. We see in verse three that the church likens Christ to an apple tree. And this apple tree has both significance and historical value. One commentator said of this apple tree, its height and comeliness render it the choices of trees among the woods. A powerful scent comes forth from this tree, perfuming the air, refreshing the weary travelers as they pass by, inviting them to repose under its cool shadow. The leaves are a deep green. Its branches are laden with fruit with a rich golden color and a most delicious taste. Here, the church says this is what Christ is to her. That Christ is the great apple tree of the church. That he is sweet to the taste and he's reviving to the soul. Now, there's many things that we can draw out from this apple tree and how it relates to Christ. But before we close, I want to just highlight two ways in which Christ is an apple tree for the church. Consider with me the third line of verse three. It says, in his shade, I took great delight and sat down and his fruit was sweet to my taste. All of this is to say that Jesus Christ is the great shade for the church, is he not? He's the great shade for us. He is first our great shade for salvation. Throughout the history of man, men have tried to come up with ways in which they can find shade and peace. Men have tried to come up with ways in which they can approach God and find shade. Muslims find shade in five pillars of faith that one must confess the faith. They must pray five times a day. They must fast. They must give to the poor. And they must make a pilgrimage to Mecca. The Roman Catholic Church finds shade in Christ plus your own righteousness. And the same can be said with Mormonism, with Jehovah Witnesses, various Eastern religions, all say that in this life, your good deeds must outweigh your bad. And saints, the great danger of all these false religions, and if you have any family members, and hear me now, any family members, any friends that are in any of these false religions, remind them, tell them, they need to know that your religion is offering you something that you can never obtain. They are offering sinful man, heaven, But sinful man in and of himself cannot obtain heaven unless through the mediation of Jesus Christ. It is only through the Father that one has access, or through the Son that one has access to the Father. All these religions are telling people to lace up your boots, tighten up, you can do it. But sinful man Never in the history of man 
has never been able to obtain and merit heaven upon their own strength. Even Adam in the garden needed divine assistance. But Christ says, come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Saints, I hope you, I hope you not have forgotten that truth. That Christ says, come to me. Not come to me plus your own works. Plus me, your own righteousness. Me plus your outstanding church attendance. Not me plus your prayer log. But me and me alone. And me and me alone will give you rest. This is the gospel, is it not? Do you realize, saints, that it is only in Christ that one finds shade from the heat of God's fiery judgment? That saints, in Adam, our sin has left us all sunburned. Each and every one of us. And there was no amount of lotion, sunblock, anything that could remove our sin. Our sin has left us all weary as if we have walked miles in the desert that we are thirsty. In Adam, we are thirsty. And all religions are offering water. But they're simply mirages. There's nothing there. And then as we in our weary state, are walking in this wilderness age, God graciously gives us sight to see an apple tree. As we are thirsty, He graciously gives us sight to see Him. Isn't that what we see when we see the apple tree, saints? We, we see shade, we see fruit, we see rest, but ultimately we see our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who has provided for us rest, shade, fruit, peace, all these things by his life, death, resurrection, and ascension to heaven. And what we say when we, when we sit under Christ, when we sit in the shadow of Christ's wings, that we are reminded of the great promise of Isaiah 4, 6, and there will be a shelter to give shade from the heat by day and a refuge and protection from the storm and the rain. This is what Christ is for us. He is our shelter to give us shade from the heat by day. And when the rain and the storm comes, he is our refuge and he is our protection. There's sometimes saints when the only thing a preacher can say is, oh, what a great salvation we have in Christ. A marvelous, great salvation we have in him. And second, the last Christ provides shade for us each Lord's Day Sabbath. Every single Lord's Day. This day, Sunday, He provides shade for us. Monday through Sunday, we toil with our hands and we engage with the thorns of the world. We walk amongst the thorns and the scorching heat and each Sunday, the Lord provides for us an oasis. And I hope you know, saints, that this day is it's not a burden. But it's a sweet gift from God to man that it's an oasis for us. A day of rest where we we come to worship our Lord. But not only that, but we anticipate what's to come. 
this is the great and grand promise of the Lord's day is that is one day there will be no Lord's day. That the Lord's day, saints, is pointing us to a great significance that in the future there's going to come a day when we won't have to leave the oasis of the Lord's day to return to the thorns of the world. In other words, we won't have to leave Sunday and enter into Monday. We won't have to, and I'm not saying in the sense of going back to work, but in the sense of Sunday, we get to be with God and God is with his people and in a special manner. And we don't ever leave the presence of God in the way that he is with his people in a special manner. There's coming a day, saints, that this day will be an eternal day. And this day reminds us, and I hope you know, that that life is not meaningless. If you're wondering, is the future going to be better than the present? Consider the Lord's day. Because the Lord's day reminds us that, that life is not aimless, but, but it's moving somewhere. This weekly Sabbath reminds us that there is a goal beyond it. Because the weekly Sabbath reminds us, it shadows rather, the heavenly reality that awaits us. That this day is a promise of the reality that's to come. Or put it simply, every Sabbath day is a small preview and picture of heaven. Our weekly Sabbath reminds us of the eternal reality that awaits us. Jesus has gone before us. He has, he has entered into the age that's to come, the age that we are all awaiting. That eternal Sabbath rests both body and soul. And as we await the consummation of all things, as we await the second coming of Jesus Christ, God is so gracious to us because as we wait for the second coming, we have to live in this wilderness age. We have to live amongst the thorns. And what God does for us each Sabbath day is that from the Father, through the Son, and by the Spirit, He restores our soul by word and sacrament. Don't you know that, saints, that right now, that God is doing something to you. That there is grace that has been given from the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit, through the agency of the one that is preaching, that grace is being communicated to your soul, sanctifying grace, so that you may conform to the image of Christ. It's not just me speaking words, but rather God is giving you spiritual aid right now. He's helping you. And what we have in this moment, in this entire day, that Christ gives us a picture and a taste of heaven. As we come to a close, saints, how are we to live in light of this sermon? Well, there's many things that we have learned, and I'm sure the Holy Spirit is a better applier of the sermon than I am able to apply the text to you. But as we leave, I just want to mention just two things. Number one, since Christ sees us as lilies, and since we know that truth, 
then let us now act like lilies. Since Christ sees us as lilies, then let us now act like lilies. Let us not act like thorns. Let us not be harsh. Let us be delicate. Let us not be quick-tempered. Let us be patient. Let us display the beauty of Christ. And lastly, all of us in the Christian life go through seasons, go through times when we just feel that Christ does not love us. But saints, if you feel weary and if you ever feel unsure of Christ's love for you, then read what Christ says of you in his holy word. Remind yourself of what Christ not only says about you, but what Christ has done for you. And that is live, die, rise, and ascend for you. And then one day you will be with him and meet him face to face. Let's pray.